This sermon is brought to you by Shofar Christian Church. We hope that you will be blessed by this message. Our audio and video sermons are also available on Shofar TV to download and share. I want to encourage you just what Al Nay shared that we get to build our lives upon the rock. What a great invitation again this morning just to say if there's any area in our lives where perhaps we've been building on anything, building on anything else. We sang about that the love of God is, is a rock. You know, just as much the love of God is a rock, the gospel is a rock. The rock on which we can build. And I'm wanting us this morning, in a sense, just to come back to the gospel. I'm just so aware in church as a, as a pastor, as somebody who listens to a lot of the sound that is coming from the church, from pulpits, from books, on blogs and websites, the sound that's coming from the church, and there's some amazing sounds coming from the church. And yet sometimes there's this thing inside of me that stirs, you know, has the church become, do, are we more out of a self-help organization? Are we more about just doing, if we do these things right, then we'll be okay? Or are we more about being the best me that, that I can be? There's merit and space, I guess, for all of those. But you know, it's the overpowering, the overarching, is the loud noise coming from the church. Is it rooted and grounded in the gospel? Is everything else we're doing and saying breathed out of, of the gospel? And so encourage us. You know, Reinhard Bonker, a great evangelist, has got this picture that he always uses about fire. And there's a biblical, I think, principle perhaps too that I, I loved. We went listening to him speak. He was at, at Loftus last weekend, a weekend or two ago. I guess some of us probably were there. Anyone here who was at the harvest event there, and we were at the we had a privilege of attending a, a conference in the week where he did one of the sessions. And for those who were there that Sunday, he's become an old man quite quickly. He's aged and frail. He's had some very serious, significant health issues over the last year. But you know, since a young Christian, there's been something about him that I've so enjoyed. And Yaku and I, and Michal was with us, and some others. We had the privilege of visiting him and spending some time with him and his team in Nigeria many years ago. Last or two weeks ago, whenever it was, when he stepped on the stage, I saw this old, frail man stepping up. He took the gospel, because evangelists always have lollipop, took the microphone, always have lollipop microphones like this, and he says, I am old, but I am not cold. The fire is burning brighter than ever. And this old man who literally has his personal assistant, just sitting one step behind him. So kind of, if Jonah was, if I was bonker speaking and the crowd is there, he's standing here and his, his personal assistant is literally sitting right over here just because he is so frail. He says, you'll see my young man, my, my assistant sitting behind me. He's talking to us. He says, he's watching my back. <laughs> but this old man with this fire that's burning inside of him and I want us to think about that analogy a little bit because the gospel is meant to be this raging felt fire. It's meant to be this felt fire that we cannot control, we don't attempt to control. And yet I wonder how sometimes we domesticate it a little bit and we make this raging felt fire a comfortable campfire. You know, just to keep me warm just a little bit, but sort of within its own limits. Or maybe we harness it a little bit and we, we use it as a, a place where we can prepare our meals. Maybe to keep us warm and comfortable. And The gospel becomes about keeping us warm and safe and it becomes about our provision. And yet the gospel is meant to be this raging felt fire. And for us this morning, as in, even as we're just carrying on with steam and this last month and a half or so, as many of us have been praying, Jesus, we want to know you, knowing him and the power of his resurrection. This thing that I've just become so aware of is his heart and his love for broken people. That as I've, just in that context, knowing Jesus more, and for me this last month, what that meant a little bit is knowing how he feels about brokenness and the brokenness and the hurt and the pain all around us. So I want us this morning to think a little bit about the gospel and hopefully perhaps in our hearts, in our 
lives make a decision to set the fire free. Maybe in our hearts make a little bit of a decision to say that I don't want to contain this gospel fire within the confines of, you know, the nice boma, the nice little, the safe space for the fire. But maybe to take a stick and stick it in that fire and walk upon to, you know, a bunch of sticks or grass and say, Holy Spirit, just breathe on this fire and do with it as you wish. I love how the Apostle Paul writes in Romans 1. He says, I am not ashamed of this good news. This translation uses the word good news. Some other translations would use the gospel. It's exactly the same word, just from different eras in our language. The word gospel comes from the old English good, pronounced slightly differently, spell meaning news, and you put those together and you get gospel. It's exactly the same word that we'd use in Greek where we get the word evangelist from, or evangelion, which means good news. It's all the same thing. So whichever word we use it. So what is an evangelist? An evangelist literally is somebody who brings good news. And I hope in a little bit, and obviously there's the office of an evangelist. We get that. Someone like Arenas Bonko or whatever, and many others like him across the globe. But, but I wonder if something inside of all of our hearts would just stir a little bit to say, God, I want to be a carrier of good news. I learned this many years ago from one of the, in a sense, the great modern church fathers. It's leading a fantastic global church and just standing true for the gospel. Many years ago, I had the privilege of hearing him minister, and he said something so powerful. He said, in his life, he has determined to be a carrier of good news. So when he hears bad news, he's made a decision, except where absolutely necessary, he doesn't carry bad news. In a sense, that settled in my heart, the idea for gossip, and all of that has just completely been stripped away, because I want to carry good news. If it's not good news about something, unless I absolutely have to share it, why share it? Because blessed are the feet of those who carry good news. So as a bit of a primer question, just between you and the Holy Spirit, you don't have to try and lie to anyone this morning. We're not going to discuss this for now. But I want you just for a moment to think, when last did you have a gospel conversation outside of church environment? Not in small group, not in church, not with somebody who you would regularly pray with. When is the last time you and I have had a gospel, a conversation about the gospel? A conversation about the good news? And here, Romans chapter 1, Paul stands up, he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel about Christ. It is the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes. The Jew first and also the Gentile. And this good news tells us how God makes us right in His sight. This is accomplished from start to finish by faith. And as the scripture says, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. One has to think, as I said, about this idea of the good news. I guess perhaps as we're sitting here, apart from when is the last time I had a gospel conversation, which I hope would be a question that kind of would carry us the whole morning through the message, but into the week and weeks and months to come. And may it be one of those questions that has become like one of my questions in my heart that haunts me. You know, God's given me some glorious questions over the years that haunt me. Questions where I'm lying at night, I wake up in the morning and a question pops up and a question like this would be a great question to haunt me in the middle of the night. When last have I had a gospel conversation? Maybe I'd be able to give a great answer. Wow, over dinner tonight, we had this awesome gospel conversation. Maybe, I don't know. Maybe it was last month. You know, when we were driving there or flying there two, three months ago, I think I, I might have had a gospel conversation, and that's a type of question that I, that I want to haunt me. I want to be bothered by things like that. Coming to the gospel and thinking about the gospel, I guess there are a couple of other key questions that perhaps are informed by our theology. Who needs to hear the gospel would be a good question. That I guess would inform a little bit about how we have gospel conversations. Well, who needs to hear the gospel? Well, just based on Romans 1 for now, I'm not ashamed of this good news. 
It is the power of God at work saving everyone who believes. Well, who needs the gospel in this context? Well, who needs to hear the gospel? All of them who need to be saved. Who needs to be saved? Tying into that would be, what is salvation? What does it mean to be saved? Who needs to be saved? Perhaps we're sitting here and that friend of mine who's really far from Jesus, he needs to be saved. I know what he did last night, last week. I know what he's up to in his life. He needs to be saved. Perhaps he does. What is salvation? Salvation only about no longer going to hell. Is salvation only about having my sins forgiven and, and washed away? Or is, when we're talking about salvation, are we talking something far more powerful and far deeper? Watch what the Apostle Paul has to say this in the same context. We're looking at Romans chapter 1. And just wanted to jump back a couple of passages, a couple of verses. He's writing, it's important in this context, he's writing this letter to a church, to the group of believers in Rome. He's never been there. He writes that he wants to be there. We know later on in his life he does get there as a prisoner. He's writing this not to an individual. He's writing this to a group of believers, a church. Watch what he says to them. Let me say first that I thank my God. This is sort of his introduction to the letter. He's made some introductory remarks. He said who he is. And then he says, let me say the first thing I want to say to you guys is that I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith in him is being talked about all over the world. That's quite a commendation. I would hope and pray that if the Apostle Paul were ever to write us in Pretoria, our group here, a letter, that would be an amazing way if he started that letter. If he writes a letter and it starts like that, I would be, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> that all across the world, they're talking about our faith. And then he speaks about his desire to come and visit them. And watch what he says in verse 15, why he wants to visit them. So I am eager to come to you. That's a plural you in Rome. And that you is specifically referring to this group of people he's writing the letter to. It's not referring to the broader Rome. It's not referring to the whole city. It is these people to whom, of whom their faith is being spoken across the whole world. Watch what he says to them. I want to come to you because I want to preach the good news to you. That's quite a powerful statement right there. And maybe that makes us think just a little bit different about who needs to hear the good news. Because for the Apostle Paul, the people whose faith was world-renowned, spoken of across the nations, do you know what they needed? They needed to hear the gospel. And then when I read that, you know what I realize? Perhaps I need to hear the gospel. Perhaps I need to hear the gospel. Watch what Tim Keller says. I, I love this quote. The gospel is not just the ABCs, but the A to Z, to make it rhyme in American. You know, it's not just the ABCs, but the A to Z of the Christian life. It is inaccurate to think the gospel is what saves non-Christians, and then Christians mature by trying hard to live according to biblical principles. And he's not saying don't live according to biblical principles, but what he is saying is, watch this, it is more accurate to say that we are saved by believing the gospel in a justification coming to know Christ's way, believing the gospel, and then we are transformed in every part of our minds, hearts, and lives by believing the gospel more and more deeply as life goes on. It is not just we hear the gospel, we come to faith in the gospel, and then the gospel is for those who are on the outside. The gospel is what renews and transforms us continually every single day. And that's why the Apostle Paul looks at a group of people in Rome, people whose fame is world-renowned, and he says, guys, I want you to hear the gospel. He's not saying you haven't heard the gospel. He's not saying you haven't heard the good news. He's not saying you don't have faith. He's not saying your faith is misplaced. He's not saying we need to bring clarification to your doctrine. He just believes in the power of the gospel. 
Because what is the next verse? Then I want to come and preach the gospel to you. And then the next verse, which is where we started. Because I believe in the power of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It is the gospel that renews and changes and transforms our lives. And that's the context with which he's coming from that. And so I want us just perhaps a moment, and, and some of us, just slightly for us, some of us probably is just like perhaps a teeny weeny little tweak. For some of us it's a yes, exactly. For some of us it's, whoa, I've never thought of the gospel in, in that way. You know, when we begin to think of the gospel, not only as that that brings us to faith in Christ, but that which reveals who Christ is continually to us, perhaps it changes the way we read the Bible. Maybe let me put an example out there for some of us. I'm guessing many of us know the story of David and Goliath. The story of this young boy who comes to slay this giant and save a nation. And I wonder if you think, and we don't have time, unfortunately, this morning to, to read the story and explain it all of it, but I just want to put this briefly out there for us. If you think of the story of David and Goliath, where do you place yourself most often? Are you the king who's abdicated his responsibility, doesn't want to take on the challenges? He was King Saul. You'll remember he was head and shoulders, literally taller than anybody else in all of Israel. So in the natural, who was meant to go after Goliath? Well, the biggest guy on this side, Goliath was the big guy on this side, and the big guy on this side was Saul. He was meant to. And perhaps some of us are there. We realize that we have failed. We realize we've abdicated, perhaps. I don't know, maybe there's someone here you associate most with Goliath, the bully. The one who's just being difficult and kind of forcing everyone because you want to do it your way. Maybe you associate with David, the unexpected hero. And you know, most of the time when we read and when we hear and when we sort of share the story of of David, that's probably the way we go. It's not necessarily wrong, and I think there's space a lot for that. For David, the unexpected hero, and God stirring in my heart, God wants me to pick up the stones and slay the Goliath. But how about we read the story of David and Goliath, and we see ourselves as Israel in mortal danger, in need of a Savior. And there is only one who can come and slay the giant on our behalf. That's perhaps a little bit of a different reading to the way we'd normally read it. But I want to hold before it that that's perhaps a more accurate gospel reading. That the story of David is not how badly God wants to use me to slay the Goliath. The story of David is that Christ has come to slay the Goliath. That I am perhaps the king. But I'm definitely Israel, and I'm looking at this giant, and he's going to annihilate me, but for a Savior. And I'm not saying that God doesn't use us at times to step into that breach. My question is just, what are we looking for? What is our hope? Is our hope that I want to be the David, the Savior, or is my hope that Christ, you are the Savior, or no one? Coming back to the gospel. And so for this morning, what I'd like us just to do, and kind of sort of that was all just the introduction, I, I want us just to, in a sense, revisit, review the gospel. Not revisit in a sense of changing it. You'll notice I'm very definitely not saying redefine the gospel. That makes me very nervous when we read modern writers or modern speakers talk about redefining biblical things. I get very nervous about that. It's not our role to redefine what Scripture says. It is our role to investigate and to discover what Scripture says. But it's not our job to change the definition of that which God has already given us. And so I want us just to read sort of two, but they're very linked. It's sort of one story that just brings the gospel out so powerfully. And I want us perhaps to see how that gospel manifests where I am in my life today. I realize for me as, you know, in this week just had some conversations with Different people who've been following Christ for a very long time, facing significant challenges in their lives. Maybe that's you. I know at times that me, I'm sitting there and I'm thinking of the answers. I'm thinking of what is the biblical principle. I'm 
praying into it, and all of that is good and right. But sometimes I go through a, a week, a day, a month of worrying, of stressing, of getting worked up about this thing, and then it's like the Holy Spirit slaps me on the side of the head and says, Philip, but what about the gospel? Yes, your action is important. Yes, your, the faith that's lived out through your actions, the Bible believing, the Bible acting, it's all important, that living it out. But don't you for a moment want to pause all of that when Jesus says, cast your cares upon me because I care for you, it ties into this gospel. When he says, be anxious for nothing, can I hold this out there for some of us? A word of grace. When Jesus says, be anxious for nothing, he means it. Why be anxious for nothing? Because of the gospel. And perhaps if I want to say it a little bit stronger, and if you're sensitive, then take the first way, but I get some of us don't hear it always that way. It's a little bit stronger. Anxiety is sin. Why is it sin? Because it's outside of the will and purpose of God. So it's not something to feel bad about. It's not something now I must be anxious because I'm anxious and that's sin. It's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is Jesus has made a way for you and me to step away from the anxiety. When he says, be anxious for nothing, the reason he says that where he's coming from that he's saying is be anxious for nothing because of the gospel. That anxiety is rooted in, I need to solve the situation. I need to be the David. I need to kill the Goliath. So Jesus, give me the right stones. Jesus, give me the right tool. Jesus, give me the right words. And all of that, I think, is missing the gospel. The gospel is Jesus. There is a giant, and I feel like I need to be David, but I cannot be David. But Jesus, you can. As a matter of fact, Jesus, you were and have already been. And so let's look at these two passages here. First one, John chapter 3, a passage many of us know really well. No one has ever gone to heaven and returned, but the Son of Man has come down from heaven. That right there is a summary of the gospel. Jesus came from heaven and stepped down into this earth, into your problem and into my problem. And as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, so the Son of Man, Jesus, must be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. And that salvation is so much more as amazing, as precious, as powerful as the washing away of sin is. If that was all it was about, it would still be the most magnificent thing that's ever happened. But it is so much more than that. So he talks there about Moses lifting up a bronze serpent in the wilderness. I want us to go there, Numbers chapter 21. I want us to read that passage a little bit. What is the story? Because this right here is a picture of the gospel. It's a picture of the gospel, not just for those who are outside, for those who do not know Christ. It is a picture of the gospel for you and me for our daily living. Then the people of Israel set out from Mount Hor. As a matter of fact, if you want to get really theological about this, this is a group of people who's already come out of Egypt. For those who've got a, history, a theological background and understand that part of Bible history, if you don't, it, it's not that important for us for this morning. They've come out of Egypt. They've been delivered from their bondage. And in a theological sense, that crossing the Jordan is moving through. Sorry, not crossing the Jordan yet, but moving through. Crossing the Red Sea, it talks about our baptism. It talks about us stepping away from an old life into a new life, a new way of doing things. They're sort of in the desert where they're having the most intimate time with God that they've had. They're no longer slaves in Egypt. The deliverance has already taken place. So theologically, if you want to view it from that, it's talking about people in a, a modern language who are already following Jesus. And watch what happens in their life. They take the road to the Red Sea and they're going around the land of Edom, but they grow impatient with the long journey. Maybe I'm the only believer who's gotten upset with God 
about why is it taking so long? Why is it so hard? Why can't I just be in the promised land where everything is going to be easy and milk and honey and life is just going to be flourishing and amazing, which can I just put out there in case you missed it, the scripture narrative tells us it is not on this earth. The land of milk and honey is still a land that's filled with giants. The land of milk and honey is still a land where death lives and in a sense reigns. The land of milk and honey is a picture of the promised land. It is not the promised land. I love how the Apostle Paul writes about that and he says, you know, we are just sojourners. We are just campers. I love that picture. We're here on this earth and we've set up tents. It's like when you go on holiday somewhere, you set up tent for a day or two, maybe two weeks, whatever it may be. And you know, you can live with the dust. You can live with the rubbish. You're okay with it because I don't live here. You know, here on this earth, there's a bunch of stuff that we just need to be okay with because we're just camping here for a short while. It's not our home. It's not where we're going to live forever. Right now, there's a God in heaven, and he says he has gone ahead of it to prepare a place for us. In my Father's house are many mansions. He says, I go to prepare a place for you. I don't know if I'm going to have a teeny-weeny little servant's quarter, if I'm going to be staying outside, if I'm going to have a big bedroom. I don't know what that's going to look like, but I do know whatever it is, it's going to be infinitely better than the best I've got here on earth. But yet somehow we get so frustrated, we grow impatient with the long journey. The journey of our own deliverance, the journey of our own salvation, not in the sense of having the sin washed away, but our sanctification and our purification. The journey of that which we know God's called us to, our our calling and, you know, the things that are stirring in our life, and we get impatient. They began to speak against God and Moses. Obviously, we begin to complain because that's just who we are as humans. It's too far. God is bad. God, you shouldn't do this. God, you don't know what you're doing. And they say to Moses and to God, why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die here in the wilderness? And the scary thing is they became prophets of their own doom. They all did die in the wilderness. He said that. Why have you? God never brought them out of the wilderness to die in the desert, but yet their perception became so warped. Look at what they say. There is nothing to eat here and nothing to drink except every time when they are thirsty, God provides water. They say there's nothing to eat, there's nothing to drink. If you just go back a couple of chapters, you would see when they left Egypt, they brought the wealth of Egypt with them, the silver, the gold, and the livestock. They have plenty of food. And then watch this a little bit. You've never prayed this in your life. There is nothing to eat here and nothing to drink. And we hate this horrible manna. Some of the more literal translations would say, our, soul, our souls loathe this worthless bread. We've never prayed that. We've never said that. We've never said, God, your provision in my life is despicable. I hate it. It's not good enough. God, give me something decent. None of us have ever prayed that. Hey. Us, we hate this horrible manner. So the Lord sent poisonous snakes among the people, and many were bitten and died. So they've got this little, they're literally staying in tents at this time, these little hut thingies. And I can imagine the first person waking up in the morning, the early riser, maybe one of the kids. And he gets up and he walks out. Maybe it's a lady. She wakes up and she has to go to the bathroom. There's no bathroom in the tent. There's an outhouse somewhere, a space where she needs to go. And she's on her way and a snake whacks her on the heel. What was that? She looks around. She says a snake and yells out a scream. Falls down dead. Some people hear her screaming. They look out. They look what's going on. And the next thing, there are just snakes everywhere. And everyone who steps out gets touched by these snakes, gets bitten by these snakes, and there's no hope for them. There's no hope for them. You know, as we go through life, there are a bunch of snakes that bite us. Maybe you haven't noticed this yet, 
but snakes don't only bite unbelievers. I've met some believers who've been bitten by snakes. I've been bitten by some snakes. There's some stuff in our life, my life, that hasn't worked out the way I'd want it to, where death has entered in, where brokenness has come in. Some people want to get upset by that a little bit. You know, my best kind of analogy around it, like, it's a little bit like when you're driving your car. You might have not have noticed it, maybe on the way out. You just want to check up on this. But your car has hopefully four wheels, and those four wheels have a certain lifestyle, like life cycle. Some of them are going to get worn down right into the end, and then you have to replace them. Some of them are going to be brand new, and you're going to drive out of the tire-fitting place, and you're going to drive over a nail, and you're going to get a flat tire. You know, you can get really upset about that. You can stop your whole life, say, I'm not driving the car. I need to figure out first where this flat tire came from. Why do I have a flat tire? Where was a nail? Why was a nail in the road? How am I never going to drive over a nail again? Or you can just say, that's the life cycle of a tire. Let me just patch the tire, get somebody to fix it, pump it up again, and off I go. And you know what? Within the next kilometer, I might get another flat tire. I might not. You know, as we go through life, sometimes we get flat tires. As we go through life, life happens. Snakes bite us. And here are these people of Israel. They're people dying all over the place. They don't know what to do. They hate the horrible manner. They've just been complaining to Moses. This is weird how we as people are. Moses, you are useless. Moses, why did you bring us up out of Egypt? They start dying. You brought us here to die. They start dying. What did they do? Moses, fix it. Moses, fix it. That's what they say to him. They came to Moses and they cried out, we have sinned. Key component of the gospel, repentance. We have sinned by speaking against the Lord and against you. Moses, we were wrong. Moses, all of those livestock there. Moses, the rivers of water that are flowing in the desert here. Moses, the manna every day. Moses, there's food everywhere. We are wrong. We have lied. We have grown just confused by our circumstances. The desert heat, you know, mirages. Moses, just have some grace with us. We have sinned. Pray that the Lord will take away the snakes. So Moses prayed for the people. You know, Moses is a better leader than me. I would have said, no, enjoy the snakes. You wanted the snakes, you got the snakes. You asked for the snakes. Moses prayed for the people. He humbled himself, he softened his heart. Then the Lord told him, make a replica of a poisonous snake and attach it to a pole. And all who are bitten will live if they simply look at it. So Moses made a snake out of bronze and he attached it to a pole then anyone who was bitten by a snake could look, look at the bronze snake and be healed. That's a bit of a crazy story. I wonder how high he put up that pole. There's a group of about a million people. History tells us these Israelites are stacks of them all over the place are getting bitten by a snake. He puts the snake as high as he possibly can so everyone sees. But you know everyone doesn't immediately know about the snake. But they know about the people around them who've gotten bitten. They've heard the shrieks and the yells. So they're locked up inside of their tent. Zipper clothes. Every cable tie I've got. You know, this thing is not opening. No snakes coming inside here. But you know, the first person gets bitten by a snake. And he, they've seen what's happened to everyone else who got bitten by a snake. But they heard Moses say, guys, if you get bitten by a snake, just look. Just look at the pole. And the first one looks up at the pole. I don't really know if this is going to work, but hey, let me try. I'm dying anyway. And he, he looks up at the pole. And guess what? The pain begins to dissipate. He realizes he's continuing to breathe. His heart hasn't stopped yet. He's not falling faint and lying on the ground between all the other dead. He turns to his friend. He's like, hey, this actually worked. He sees somebody else being bitten by a snake. He shouts at her. He says, Hey, hey, just look at the pole, and you'll be okay. 
Maybe someone gets bitten by a snake. They hear this. They'll just look at the pole and they're sitting down. They say, I can't see the pole. There's a tent in the way. There's somebody between me and the pole. Someone else looks at them and says, that doesn't matter. I'm going to drag you. We're going to crawl. We're going to do whatever is necessary just for you to look at the pole. Just looking at the pole is all that you need. It's not about how clever or how strong, how far. You don't need to look at a pole a certain way. You don't need to look at the pole and say the right words and put up some magic spell. Just look at the pole and you'll be okay. And isn't that exactly the gospel? Isn't that exactly the gospel that as we go through life, there are a variety of snakes that bite us? Pain, death, depression, divorce, disease, financial sickness, financial depravity, loss, poverty. So we can carry on going through life. We've probably all got a list of snakes that we've been bitten by. And some of us, that poison is still inside of us and it's bringing a slow death. For some of us, we've learned to look at the pole. Maybe perhaps we're sitting there and saying, I can't see the pole. I wish I could see the pole, but it's so much hard work to look at the pole. Maybe there's someone sitting next to you or someone in your life. You see them busy dying and they don't have faith to look at the pole. And it isn't the gospel exactly that, well, I'm going to pick you up. I'm going to drag you. I'm not going to let you die here. I'm going to get you to a place where you can see the pole, because once you see the pole, you'll be okay. You'll be okay. You'll be okay. And I wonder in the gospel how, how gospel-centered we are as a people. I wonder how much we love looking up at the pole. I wonder how much we just love stopping everything else and saying, you know what, I'm just going to look at the pole for a bit. And the people around you are, you're silly, you look at all this other stuff, and you're like, you know, right now, I don't really care. I'm just amazed by this poll. A gospel picture right there. And Jesus uses that sort of as the one picture to illustrate what he must do, and he must be lifted up. Obviously, when he gets lifted up, it's on a cross, but it's not just on a cross, so that kind of the three people around there might see it. It's so that I love this wording here. So that anyone who was bitten by a snake could look at the bronze snake and be healed. I know what some of us are going through in our lives. I don't know what all of us are going through. And I definitely know there are a whole bunch of stuff who are going through some intensely hurtful, painful, broken, private things. And we've been bitten by snakes. And we're doing everything in this world to get our healing. We're doing everything in our world to get the restoration. We're getting everything in this world to get it fixed. And I'm not saying don't, don't pursue that. Continue seeing the doctors and the psychologists and the psychiatrists and getting trained and equipped and working. Do all of those things. But I want to plead with us a little bit before we do any of those things. Slow down, stop, and look at the pole. Slow down, stop, and look up at the resurrected Jesus. Slow down, stop, and say, Jesus, I'm trying to be David and fix this whole circumstance. Maybe that's not the way to go about it. Maybe bringing the gospel, not only to those who are far from Christ, but perhaps maybe bringing the gospel to those who are knowing Christ and following Christ. Maybe it's a little bit, you know, and I've just been so challenged in this last month, I can say this easily, Jesus, I need to believe the gospel. Yes, I believe the gospel has saved my sin. What about all the other challenges in my life? Do I believe the gospel is enough for them as well? Isaiah 53. I'm speaking to someone going just through a really hard space in their life right now in the weekend. Reminded of this passage, the cross. I remember the first time this sort of dawned on me. I knew because I've heard people speak about this sort of since I'd come to faith that, you know, the cross has washed our sins away. And you know what? I'd even heard people saying that the cross is healed by broken body. I'd heard those. And then I went through a situation where, you know, God's been really gracious to me in my life. I've 
He's always allowed me to see the sun. The promise that I gave, someone gave me on my 21st birthday, just a passage in Scripture, nice painting with this passage on it. Your son, now I forget the words of all times to forget it. Something along the lines, I think it was Isaac, the one, that your sun shall never set again because the Lord will be your everlasting light. You know, that's just, I, I can testify of that. And in a sense, you know, you might call me an optimist. I always see the light. I always see how it can turn out for good. And I think a part of that is birthed and I believe in Christ. And He can redeem any situation. doesn't matter how useless it is. And that makes me a really, really, really bad sports person, sports fan. Because, you know, the game can be lost and I'm like, no, we can still win this. Even if we can't. You know, I just I choose to approach that life where I choose to approach life with hope. And, you know, by God's grace, depression has never come near me privately, personally. It's come close to some people, very close to me. And I've seen the hurt and the pain. I know how real it is. But there was this time in my life, and for me, it was, in a sense, the darkest few days of my life. I just had a serious emotional disappointment and can probably say this, the girl who I thought I was going to marry, it, what didn't, just and kind of, you know, the whole downward spiral from that. And here I am in the midst of this, by God's grace, it was just a few days, and I read Isaiah 61, and I'll show you what I read now. Surely he has borne our griefs. It struck me like a pole against the side of the head. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. I know the cross is for Jesus to wash away my sin. I know the cross is to bring healing to my body, but wait, he has borne out my heart pain, my heartache, my grief, that which I'm crying and mourning about, that which is keeping me up at night. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. I was like, cheapest. I, I never saw that the cross had done that. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Those two both speak about sort of a, a spiritual cleansing, washing of our sinfulness away from us. Upon him was the chastisement, the punishment that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed, speaking about the physicality. But you know, right in the middle there, upon him was the chastisement that brought our peace, tied into the bit at the beginning of us for my griefs, my sorrows, my peace. You know what I realized in that moment? The cross is for my emotional wholeness as well. It's when I understand this that I can be anxious for nothing, but in all things, with prayer and supplication, make my requests known to God and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding with thanksgiving will guard my heart and my mind. Because the cross is enough. Jesus, right now I'm so confused. I don't know which way to turn. Right now my heart is so broken. Right now, Jesus, I don't even know where to begin. I'm so worried. I'm so stressing. I'm, you know what the word of God is? The gospel message to you and to me in that situation? Stop. 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 But you and me are like my kids. Three daughters are amazing, and I love the fact that they're old enough to play by themselves now. But sadly, they're still young enough that they need a full-time referee, you know. And they get into it, and they just start. And then it's like this thing overcomes them when they start getting and going at each other. And none of you who have siblings ever did this. And none of us who are parents, I know kind of my kids are fallen in the grace of Christ. We need it in their lives desperately. But they start going at each other. And then it doesn't matter what I do. It doesn't matter what I say. It's, they cannot hear it. They're so caught up in this moment. She's got my favorite piece of Lego, you know. <laughs> I want my Lego. I need that. Until eventually, stop. They don't hear it the first time. Stop. And they're carrying on. Stop. Eventually, they stop and they sort of snap out of it. And then my wife and I or someone think, well, let's work a plan out about this. But you know, we just like my daughters, we get so worked up by the circumstance we're in. And can I say something with a lot of love? As big, as huge, as it real, as it seems to us that my sister has taken my favorite piece of Lego. As real as that is in the moment. 
in the eyes of God, it's not so bad. You might have another piece of Lego. As real as this disaster on this earth might seem, when we allow the grace of God to shine His light on it, perhaps it's not as bad as we thought. You know the grace of God to you and me? In the midst of our crisis, in the midst of our storm, in the midst of the challenge that we have, in the midst of this thing that we're getting so worked up about, all God is wanting to say to you and me is stop. Maybe he says it in a nicer way. Maybe he says, be still and know that I am God. Isn't that just stop? Maybe my wiring is I need stop. Shake me by the, stop. Sorry. The rest of us, maybe we're more gentle and maybe it's just be still. Not just be still. Be still and know I am God. I am God. I am God and the cross is enough. I want to say that again, just to make sure kind of that no one has missed this. Your emotional wrestling, whatever it is that you're going through, this situation, this pain, this hurt, thing that is going on in your life that you're wrestling with on the inside, that's stealing your peace, it's bringing grief, it's bringing sorrow, it's keeping you up at night. Jesus died for that too. He died to solve the thing that's keeping you up at night, but he also died for your peace in the midst of the situation. And sometimes we need to be deliberate to say, I'm almost dead. I'm going to use the last little ounce of power that I have to just look up over this tent because I know there's a pole there that I can't see right now. But if I can just somehow muster enough strength, maybe just have somebody pick me up just to see that pole, it's going to be okay. It's the craziest thought ever, but that pole is going to make it all right again. That's the gospel for you and for me. Not just before we had put our faith in Jesus. Tomorrow morning, the situation you're facing at work, here's a crazy, crazy thought. The client who hasn't paid and doesn't want to pay, Jesus died for that situation. The boss who's being difficult and unrealistic, Jesus died for your peace in the midst of that. The thing that's going on at home between you and your wife, the the kid that you don't know kind of what to do with, what school, how to sort out this behavioral issue, the sickness, whatever, and it's stressing me up. Jesus died for that. That's the gospel right there. Jesus died for that. The good news is not just as amazing as it is that Jesus has come to wash our sin away for all of eternity. The good news is that he has come to give us life, eternal life, here on this earth and at eternity. Doesn't mean we're not going to get flat tires. It doesn't mean life's not going to happen. It means that when life happens, we can look up to the cross and know that it is sufficient. And so this morning, I want to leave us with a prayer. A prayer of saying, Jesus, I I don't want just the gospel to, to be this very nice, sanitized, domesticated fire that I can control. When is the last time I had a gospel conversation? When is the last time I sat with somebody going through, excuse the wording, hell on earth, in their world, in their experience, even in my mind, it's just their favorite piece of Lego that's gone. For them, it's hell on earth. When is the last time I was able to sit with them and help them just to look to the cross? Leave the clever strategies, leave the self-help books, leave kind of all of the other things. I'm not saying we incorporate that later, but just start. Step one, what does the cross have to do about this situation? Step one, look to the cross. Before we get the books, before we get the theory, before we get the plan, before we get the strategy, before we get the new job, before we do any of that, just stop and look to the cross. Say, Jesus, I don't know how, I don't see it, I don't sense it, I can't feel it. The cross is enough. When is the last time you and I have had a gospel conversation outside of the church environment? 
When is the last time we sat with somebody and we just pointed them to Jesus? When is the last time we had a conversation with somebody and we just brought with an abundance of faith and love and grace and all of those things mixed in together, the cross is enough. And I'm not only talking about conversations with unbelievers. Gospel conversations. When is the last time we did that? Acts chapter 4. In our way, I want us to pray and end off with this this morning. What's happening here is the early church, they're preaching Jesus. They're telling everyone about Jesus. The authorities are saying, we're going to lock you up. We're going to whip you. We're going to throw you in jail. We're going to kill you if you keep doing that. They come together and they pray. I love their prayer. And now, O oh Lord, hear their threats. Their threats to imprison us. Their threats to whip us. Their threats to do us kind of incredible amounts of pain. You know, like, what's that movie with the knight's, a knight's tail? And the guy keeps losing his clothes because he's gambling. And he looks at the guy and he says, well, the other guy looks at him and he says, if you betray us, if you lie to us, whatever, pain. Lots of pain. That's what they're saying here. Pain, lots of pain. That's what we're hearing. Look at their threats. Hear their threats. And give us, your servants. I love this prayer. Not protection. Not give us the wisdom. Not give us the strategy how to go about it. None of that. Just simply give us boldness in preaching your word. Just give us boldness to bring the gospel. Give us boldness to be serious about the cross. Stretch out your hand with healing power. May miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. I want to invite us, all of us, not just this morning, not just in a way where the people around us can hear it, but perhaps in a way where it becomes really intensely personal, where this becomes our prayer, your prayer, my prayer. Jesus, would you grant that with all boldness, when I go to work, with all boldness, when I'm at class, with all bold boldness, when I'm at the jogging club, with all boldness, Jesus, give me just boldness to bring the good news. Lord, that when I see people bitten by snakes, I can't just look at them and die and let them die. Give me the boldness to pick them up and say, come, I want to show you something amazing. Look what happens when you cast your eyes there. Verse 31. After this prayer, the meeting place shook. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And so what was the outflow of being filled with the Holy Spirit? Then they preached the word of God with boldness. God answered their prayer. God answered their prayer. You know, we're a large part, of a little bit of the boldness that I do have, where that came from. It came from the times and the seasons in my life when I was deliberate and intentional about the gospel. Those times we were as students, we put six weeks at the end of the year, scheduled out on our calendar and said, I'm not doing anything else for these six weeks. Yes, it's Christmas time. Yes, it's New Year. Yes, my family wants me home and it's beautiful and it's precious, but I want to be about the gospel. And we traveled around the country for six years. I did six of them. Some other people did more, some did less. For six weeks on end, preaching the gospel. We got into buses, we got into airplanes, we went to different environments, we went to different nations, and we preached the gospel, and we saw what happened when we preached the gospel in those lives, and something inside of our hearts and inside of our lives changed, and we came back, and there was more fire. There was more excitement. There was more of awareness that this gospel is the real deal. There was a little bit closer to the Apostle Paul, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I realized for me, it wasn't a one-second moment. It was growth, and it's something I'm still growing in. And there are times when I find myself kind of looking back afterwards and saying, man, I should have had a gospel conversation in a moment. But I was too embarrassed. I should have had a gospel conversation. There was somebody there bitten by a snake, crying out for help, and I just kept quiet. I'm not saying I should have stood up with my Bible and said, Everyone around the dinner table, repent. It's not, what I was, it's not the way. Obviously, the ways of grace and love, but pointing to Christ. So we announced at the beginning, I want to put this out there again. 
I am so excited in my heart, more than I thought I would be. I'm visiting Burundi in May, going to work with some of our churches there. And I've had the privilege of, of traveling to very many countries. I'm very thankful to God for that. Privilege of just stepping out again and seeing something in my heart stirred about the power of the gospel because there's something that happens when we go. There's something that happens when we engage deliberately and intentionally with the work of God. We can do it here where we live. The reality is very few of us do. Block out a week. Block out 10 days and say, for the next 10 days, I'm going to wake up every morning at 6 o'clock. I'm going to spend an hour or two, not having amazing quiet time there too, but praying for the lost people all around me. And then when I get up out of that, I'm going to have breakfast. And then I'm going to spend the whole day preaching the gospel, ministering the gospel, seeing people's lives changed and transformed. Then I'm going to come back tonight. I'm going to spend another hour or two praying about what happened today, praying about tomorrow, the ministry, the strategy. Then I'm going to go to bed, and tomorrow I'm going to wake up, and I'm going to do that again. We don't do that very often right there where we stay. There's something about getting on a bus, getting on a plane, and doing it. So I want to invite every one of us, for the sake of the power of the gospel in your life, I want to invite you to pray about going on a missions trip. Saying, I don't have the money. Reinhard Bonko's got a fantastic answer. God told him to do some things and step out some way. He said, okay, God, I will be the evangelist and the Holy Spirit will be my treasurer. God always provides. He might, finds a way. It doesn't mean we just sit around and kind of wait for money to fall out of the sky. So that his students had no money to travel the world, yet we did travel the world by washing cars. And it's amazing. You do this little thing. You get five rand here, you get five rand there, you get 10 rand there. You come home and there's an envelope for 10,000 rand under your desk or under your door. We've, many of us, Michal's got, we've got stories like that. Our God just provided, but the envelope didn't appear when we were just sitting waiting for the envelope. The envelope appeared when we went out and we did the five and the ten rand car washing. When we did the little bit and we did our little bit, then God says, I like that heart, I'll bless that because I want you to go. And yes, there were sacrifices involved. Yes, there were things that we gave up. Yes, there were other things we could have done with the money, but we sold cell phones. We did what we needed to do to get the money to go because there was something burning in our hearts. I want to invite you to join us. Say, I want to take a time, whether it's a weekend, whether it's 10 days, whether it's shorter, whether it's longer. I want to just take some time to be deliberate about the gospel and allow the gospel to stir some boldness in my heart, apart from just praying for the boldness. Because I don't want to be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want to be bold. I want to be filled with boldness that I might preach the word. I want to live the gospel. I want to apply the gospel every single day in my life, not only in the mindset of those who are far from Christ. But I need the gospel, Jesus. And I want to see the gospel made true, made real, lived out. Pray about it. It's going to be naughty now. Don't pray about whether you should go. Pray about where you should go. If God says stay, then we stay, but he's already told you to go. So you didn't need to hear God to say go. Just turn to Matthew 28 if you're unsure. Read that. God will tell you to go. He didn't say go until the year 2000 and stop going. Go into all the world. Go, 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 go. Where must I go? That's a good prayer. At times, God will say, don't go. Then we don't go. But we don't pray for a word to go. We pray for a word to stay. If there's no word to stay, then it's go, because he's already said go. Can we stand together this morning as we pray? Jesus, this morning, I want to thank you for the power of of the gospel, Lord. Jesus, I want to thank you that the gospel is good news. I want to thank you that it might be foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. So this morning, just as a church, we want to come and just realign ourselves with the gospel. We want to rekindle the gospel. We ask Jesus that you would breathe life over the fire, God. We want to undomesticate the gospel. We don't want to keep the gospel to safe, nice spaces where it keeps us warm and where it provides and heats our food. We want the gospel to be that unleashed felt fire that just rages wherever the wind may blow it. 
God, we pray that we may be agents of the gospel, that we may be proclaimers of the gospel, that we may be preachers of the gospel, even if we're not evangelists per se, that we would still be carriers of the good news of Jesus. Jesus, thank you. I just sense two groups of people specifically I'd love to pray with. There's some of us here this morning You've been bitten by sin. following Jesus. You know Christ, but you know you've been bitten by some snakes. And you don't know what it looks like. You don't know how, but this morning you realize you just need to find a way to look to Jesus. You just need to find a way to look to Him. This morning we want to pray with you. We want to come alongside you. In a sense, we want to pick you up over the tent just so you can get a clear view to see Jesus. Because as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. That whoever looks to Him would not perish, but have eternal life. And this morning, if that's you, I'm just going to ask this right there where you're standing. Don't you want to raise your hand? Just as a way of saying, God, here I am. I need to find a way to look to the cross. Jesus, I've been looking at a bunch of other places, but if I'm totally honest, I haven't been looking to Put those hands up really hard. Not to embarrass you, it's just to release some boldness, some courage inside of you. It's like, Jesus, yeah. I need to look to you, Jesus. I'm looking to you. I'm going to ask those standing around them, don't you just want to, just gently, just keep your hands raised, those your hands are raised. Don't the, those of us standing around them, can we just put our hands just gently on their shoulder Tightly on their backs. If we need to move around to get around to some people, let's do that really quick. Let's pray prayers of grace and, and faith. Jesus, we thank you this morning for the power of the gospel. Jesus, we so aware of so many snakes that choose to kill, to steal, and to destroy in this life. Thank you, Jesus, that not only did you make a way, but you are the way. And so together with every one of these right now, Jesus, we choose to lift our eyes to you. We choose to look away from the size of the snake. We choose to look away from, Lord, just the ugliness of the wound and how it's festering and how there just doesn't seem to be any hope. We choose to look away from all of that and we just want to look to you, Jesus. We look away from all of the remedies and all of the plans, as beautiful and precious as they may be. But for a moment, we just look away from them and we say, Jesus, you are the hope. There is no other. You are the cornerstone. Christ alone. Jesus, we look to you. God, I pray for everyone just for grace to be able to find ways to look to you in the midst of their challenge, Lord Jesus. Just as you're standing, don't you want to take a moment and just bring your challenge, your pain before Jesus and invite Him in to be the healer, to be the one who restores, to be the one who makes whole. Say, Jesus, this is foolish. Jesus, this is simple. Jesus, this doesn't make sense, but Jesus, this is the gospel. It is the power of God. Thank you, Jesus, that this morning we can know you are faithful. Thank you for grace to continue to press in, to look to you, Lord, even in circumstances. And everything around us tells us to look away. We want to say like Job, that God, though you slay us, yet we will trust you. Thank you for grace this morning to continue to look to you. Thank you for grace to stop for those who are running and are so, in a sense, sucked in by them circumstances. Thank you for a grace to stand still and see the salvation of our God. Thank you for grace to be still and know that you are God. In Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, if you're here, and it's the second group I want to pray with, and you're saying, Philip, I don't know if I've ever put my faith in Jesus. I've heard much about him, but I don't know if I've ever made a decision to follow him. It's a great saying that I must look unto Jesus with snakes biting me, but I don't know if I've ever had a moment where my sin is washed away. If that is you this morning, I would love to pray with you. 
I'm going to ask Martha and Sam just to continue just for a moment to just lead us in a time of song. And if you want to stay here and just allow the gospel to work in your heart some more, the presence of God, to breathe life over the gospel in your heart, you're welcome to do that. If you need to go, you're more than welcome to go. There's coffee and tea outside. We'd love to pray. We'd love to get to know you there. Spend some time together, have some coffee and tea. But we want to pray with those who need prayer this morning. So if you're here this morning and you're saying, Philip, I need to have my sin washed away. I need to meet Jesus. To know him, to really know him. Then as we keep singing, as some people leave, I want to ask you to step forward. We want to pray with you. Maybe you're here and there's something else going on in your life and you just want someone to pray with you some more. You're welcome to step forward as well. We would love to pray with you. And please don't leave if you have a prayer burden on your heart and someone hasn't prayed with you. God bless you. I pray that you're going to have an incredible week. And I pray that the fire of the gospel, you're going to become fire starters wherever we go. Lighting fires that would just rage wildly. Thank you for listening. Remember that our sermon audio and videos are also available on Shofar TV. Go to www.shofaronline.tv to download and share.